series and the message, um, kind of switching gears here, uh, is going to be about the Holy Spirit. And this is our, our final message uh, on the Holy Spirit. We have covered um, a good bit on the Holy Spirit over the past five weeks, and this is the fifth week as we look at the Holy Spirit. And, and the Holy Spirit is important uh, because the Holy Spirit um, is really, it's God's Spirit who speaks to us and through us and works in us. Um, and, and dwells in us, and it is important to know who the Holy Spirit is and how he works in our life, and I, I know that there's just a lot of confusion around the Holy Spirit, so I hope that we've been able to kind of clear some of that up. This series was, was kind of given to me by the elders. They just said, Josh, um, we want you to preach on the Holy Spirit because we want to be a, a Spirit-led church. We need to know how the Spirit works and what it looks like, and we believe that the people in our church need to be aware of how the Holy Spirit works in their life. And before I jump into this next text, um, and in 1 Corinthians, if you have your Bibles, you can turn over to 1 Corinthians 12. Um, Paul believes that this is important, uh, to know what the Holy Spirit does and who he is and what he doesn't do and who he isn't. Uh, he, he starts out in 1 Corinthians 12, if you've got your Bibles or want to grab your notes there, he says, now, concerning the spiritual gifts, brothers, he says, I, I do not want you to be uninformed. He says, I, I do not want you to be uninformed. Now, why would he say now concerning the spiritual gifts? He had just actually, um, he, he'd been addressing some issues in the church, and the, the issues that he's addressing in the church, in the Corinthian church, um, some of it had to do with, like, immorality, and right now he's getting into a section that talks about d not being divided and having kind of a clear understanding of, of the gifts, and as we jump into the spiritual gifts, like my goal for you this morning is certainly for you not to leave uninformed uh, about the spiritual gifts. Uh, Paul wanted the church to understand what they were, who they were for, and, and what they were about. Um, I also want to be very careful here because uh, when we look at spiritual gifts, some of you, we, we kind of established this a few weeks ago, like you come from different backgrounds. And so you come from different churches and different backgrounds, and some of you have been taught probably um, uh, uh, differently on this subject. And one of the things I want to caution you here is as we jump into this, um, not uh, allow some of these differences to divide us, because that's, that's one of the things that Paul was trying to keep the church from doing in Corinth, is to have an understanding of what the spiritual gifts were, how they were used, and how to use them, but ultimately to bring the church together um, over the Holy Spirit and these gifts. And so as we kind of continue in here, I just want you to know wherever you're from, and if this is a new teaching to you, uh, you, you are welcome here in this place. And I'm going to give you actually an opportunity even to kind of decide what you believe about this. I'm going to do my best to convince you to believe what I believe. All right, that's that's. that's part of my job here. Um, but uh, for some of you, this might be kind of new, and some of it might be kind of weird and even, even kind of awkward, and I get that. To be honest, um, I have never heard a, a sermon that's going to go kind of as in-depth on some of these and give definitions that I'm going to give um, over some of these in the churches that I personally have attended. Now, some of you, right, you've had maybe better pastors than I've had, um, but a lot of pastors, I discovered just kind of, just kind of, they'll read the spiritual gifts, but then they'll just kind of skip over defining them for you, some of them for you, and then you're left to wonder, like, what, what are they? How do they work? Um, and so I'm going to try not to do that with the limited time that we have. And so uh, continuing on at verse 2, here we go. 
You know that when you were pagans, in other words, when you weren't Christians, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of services, but the same Lord. And there are a variety of activities, but the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For one, to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge, according to that same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. And to another, the interpretation of tongues. All of these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. And so this morning, what I'm going to do here, I'm going to answer four questions for us about this text and about spiritual gifts. The first question I'm going to answer are what are spiritual gifts for? Or who are they for, excuse me? The second is what are spiritual gifts? The third is do spiritual gifts exist today? And three, or fourth is what are the spiritual gifts for? So we're just going to jump right in. Who are the spiritual gifts for? And here's, here's what we see from the text. Spiritual gifts are for all believers. Spiritual gifts are for all believers. In verse 6, we see that they are in everyone. In verse 7, they're given to each. Now, there is a qualifier here. As Paul is working up to this in his letter to the Corinthians, he qualifies this under the idea that they are for everyone and to each who have confessed Jesus as Lord. And so that's why I put spiritual gifts are for all believers. Now, if you want to take a look at verse 4 there, you can underline this word gifts because it's important for us to understand what this word gift means. In the Greek, it's charisma. Um, and so it's where we get our, our English word charisma. But basically what it means is it means grace gift. Uh, uh, charis in Greek is grace. All right, and then you add the ending there. It ends up being gift. So we have this grace gift here that Paul is, is talking about. Now, this word shows up in a number of places throughout the New Testament. Uh, one of them that most of you probably know are Romans 6, 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the what, church? The gift of God is eternal life. That's that word, uh, charisma, here. And so the first grace gift that you are given is actually the gift of salvation. Here, that, that is a gift that you didn't earn. Um, that is just freely given to you, and you just receive it from the Lord. And here, what we see, before you can ever receive a spiritual gift from the Lord, you need to have that first gift, which is the gift of salvation. There's a qualifier here. All of these are free gifts, by the way, and all of them are grace gifts from the Lord. Now, this idea um, of receiving these gifts... Uh, and his charisma is also where we get the word charismatic. And so the most um, basic explanation when you call somebody a charismatic is that they believe that the grace gifts still exist are now at, at work in the church. Uh, many of us are really afraid of this word because it means that you have to start teasing your hair and wear a lot of makeup. Um, right? Uh, so, and I've even had somebody come up to me who's a leader in their church and say they're at a church service 
And, you know, people were raising their hands during worship. They started to clap a little bit. And the pastor got up and kind of calmed everybody down and said, be careful. We don't want people to think we're charismatic. Now, uh, the basic, just a basic understanding is, is not that to be charismatic doesn't mean that your services are crazy or that they lack order or any of that. What it basically means is that just grace gifts still exist and they exist among the believers. Now, switching gears a little bit here, why does, why does Paul here want us to know that they're for everyone and in everyone who believes in Jesus Christ? There's a point that he's trying to get at here. And what he's trying to get at here is there aren't any special classes of people in the church. There are people who are in positions of leadership, but as the church is concerned here, there's nobody that is more special than somebody else, that everybody in the church has its place. And so um, what Paul is trying to let the church know is that diversity is important and that God loves diversity. And so when you look around at the church, what Paul wants us to see is that the church is full of people who have diverse gifts and all of you should not look alike. All of you should not have the same gifts. All of them behave a little differently. And, and diversity is not uniformity. We know that God loves diversity because of who God is himself. You know that God is Father, God is Son, and God is Holy Spirit. What's interesting, if you look at this text, we see both God is Father, God is Son, and God is Holy Spirit. In verse 4, it says there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. So we see that the Spirit of God is mentioned. He continues in verse 5, and there are varieties of services, but the same Lord. He's talking about Jesus Christ here. And in verse 6, and there are a variety of activities, but the same God, God the Father. And so what you have, you have God the Father, the Holy Spirit, and God the Son. They all play a different role at different times within the life of the Godhead. And so different roles do not mean that they're unequal um, or that they don't have a place uh, in the church, uh, but rather um, that they operate in a way um, that brings about health within the Godhead. And the truth is that for a healthy church, there needs to be people with different gifts. A healthy church is diverse. And so that's one of the things that Paul is trying to look at or try to get across here as he writes. He continues and uh, 1 Corinthians 12, skipping down to verses 14 and 15, and I want, to see, I want you to see what he says here. He says, For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, Because I am not the hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And so what Paul is trying to say here is that your feet need your hands, your hands need your feet. Your feet get you to a place to where you can grab something and use it. Uh, and so that each person who is given a gift has a role within the body uh, to help the other parts. And so when we think about the church, yes, you are individuals, but you are interdependent, right? We are mutually dependent on one another as the church. And this is the point that Paul is trying to make and the reason why gifts are given to different people. So first question, who are they for? They're for everyone. They're in everyone who believes in Jesus Christ. The second question that we can ask then is what are the spiritual gifts? What are the spiritual gifts? I'm going to give you a definition, and then we're going to go through some of these spiritual gifts. Here's, here's my definition after study this week. Spiritual gifts are natural gifts. Spiritual gifts are natural gifts or abilities that are used through the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Or supernatural gifts. So in other words, not a natural gift, not a natural ability given to you by the Holy Spirit individually as he wills. 
I want to kind of end there at the end, individually as he wills. There, that was in verse 11. Um, and this is the difference. Last week I ta- taught about the fruits of the Spirit. This is one of the major differences between the fruits of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. The, the fruit of the Spirit, God is trying to um, implant in everyone and grow in everyone because it's a part of your character. And so everyone is growing all the fruits of the Spirit all at the same time. While the gifts of the Spirit are given to people individually as God wills. In the definition, I said some are natural gifts. This is actually after um, a study I've, I've changed on this and believe that spiritual gifts can be natural gifts used in a spiritual way. And you say, well, how can a, a spiritual gift be a natural gift? Quite simply because <laughs> you didn't deserve the natural gift that you got anyways. Right? I mean, who chose to be born to the parents that they were born to? All right, right? And so get this, right? You inherited their genes. So... Um, we're about to look at some natural gifts. So if you have the ability to walk, talk, think a, a certain way, right, you probably inherited that to your parents and God um, predestined that that take place in your life. Right? You aren't smart because you willed to be smart. Right? You, you may have, have become smarter through learning and going to school, but God made you who you were. Right? That's not something that you chose. Now, when we look at these first two gifts that are given, I believe that these are natural gifts that can be used in supernatural ways and be used by the Holy Spirit. So he gives us a list. I'm going to go through these. There's eight of them. Um, excuse me, nine of them. The first is wisdom. The reason that I believe that this is a natural gift is usually people who aren't wise don't all of a sudden become wise. Like people who have worldly wisdom, when they become Christians, often they become wise Christians. Now what makes them wise Christians? they are able to take the scriptures and take the text and apply them in a certain way in your life or in their lives that gives meaning and value and helps people go along. These are the people who have the gift of wisdom that in your small groups or in your Sunday school classes, uh, when a, a, a tough problem comes up, like you turn to to ask for advice. You, you know who they are. Uh, and so this is the first gift that he talks about. He talks about the gift of knowledge. The gift of knowledge is similar to wisdom. Uh, these are, are people who are a- able to take in um, spiritual information, the Word of God, um, and know it and give it and teach it often, um, and they possess great knowledge. Uh, these are some of your teachers. Uh, some of them are maybe not teachers, but they are the ones that you, you go to and you look to when you have a question. What does the Bible say about that? Right? We have a number of people, I believe, with this gift in our church. It seems to me that Bert Marlin is one of them. Gary Varner is one of them. And we have more, more people. We have a lot of people with this gift. And these are kind of natural gifts that are, can be used in a supernatural way um, when we allow the Lord to use us in that way. Then he gets into some supernatural gifts here. And the first is faith. The first is faith. Uh, we know that somebody does not come to faith in Christ without the Holy Spirit working in their life. It's a, it's a supernatural gift to even come to Christ. This isn't necessarily talking about that gift here, but this is talking about kind of a different gift of faith that basically just believes that God can do anything. Uh, I mean, this is the person that if a mountain is in the way, they will actually try to pray the mountain out of the way. Uh, this is uh, the person that reminds me of this is actually my youth minister growing up. Um, I was able, uh, Wednesday, I went up to Lake Erie. He was up there with my father. Uh, so I went fishing with him, and I began to talk about some issues with him, and he was telling me about some things going on in his life. And this is, his answer is always the same. 
whether, even when like bad things are happening, like God's got control of it. Like he's good. He's going to take care of it. I mean, that's, that's what faith, that's what fit the gift of faith looks like. This man, by the way, he was fishing years ago with my father. My dad loves to tell this story and it's a true story. You're not going to believe me. That's fine. Um, they were, they were out on his boat and, and they were fishing and um, his name is Ricky, the, my youth pastor, and uh, he works on boat engines for fun. And so he's a pretty handy guy. And his boat had broken down while they were out on the lake. And uh, uh, so they spent hours trying to get their boat running because the boat was broke down and he can't get it fixed, can't get it fixed. And they are getting the paddles out. My dad, you know, he's practical. Let's just get the paddles out. We'll paddle back. And then Ricky looked at my dad and he said, we, we haven't tried one thing yet. He said, hold on a second. Let me, let, let me put the top back on. Let me try this. He said, let me pray over it. Okay. He prayed over the boat motor and the boat motor started, Right? That's what the gift of faith might look like. There's no way I would have done that. I would have had the paddles out, right? Uh, so the gift of faith. Now, these other gifts here are really dependent kind of on the gift of faith. Healing. Now, if you look at the text, um, this is interesting. It says gifts of healing. Now, you could also just translate that gifts of healings. It's, it's plural. Now, it's plural here in both gifts of healings and in miracles, um, this is important for us. I, I think it's important for two reasons when we look at gifts of healing. One is it's trying to distinguish itself. This isn't like how it happens through chemistry or biology. These, these are not natural um, uh, healing. This is something that's, that's much different than that. In other words, like it's an miracle or it's a supernatural cause for this healing to be brought about. The second reason I believe that it's plural here is, is this, this very reason that... Um, God may heal, right, one time for somebody if they go and pray for them. Like, there's gifts of healings. They just kind of happen at different times when people are prompted to pray for healing um, over somebody or even with themselves. And so this may not be somebody who actually possesses a gift that is able to go around and pray on, by their will, and all of a sudden people start getting healed, Right? Uh, some people seem to, if you're around them, see more healing through their prayer than other people do. And perhaps you could say that they have the gift of healing. But I think one of the things that we learn from this is just because you have prayed over somebody and you have seen somebody healed doesn't mean that you should start a healing ministry, right? That you have the ability, or God through you is always going to heal when you pray for somebody, I believe that's the reason there, but this, this, this gift is there that Paul mentions. The next one, the fifth one, is miracles. Right? Miracle is just anything that happens beyond explanation. Right? Uh, pretty, pretty simple, right? It can be physical healing, but it's, it's not always. This week I met with a group of pastors um, who uh, organized what they call the Akron altar, altar Call, and they said several years ago they had organized it. 4,000 people came. They were really upset because the forecast just showed rain. It just, it just showed rain. And they had 4,000 people there. They began preaching and teaching. And they said they were looking on their phones and there were clouds everywhere. It was raining everywhere, but where they were. Right? Again, you, you don't have to believe me. Um, these seem like credible people. Like these, these things happen. We see miracles in the Bible. This is, what, this is the sort of thing that Paul is talking about. Prophecy, right? Prophecy is basically, basically the, the declaration of God's will to people. Right. What we see in uh, 1 Corinthians 14 is it's described as a word that will encourage, 
comfort, and even bring people under conviction. A lot of us, when we think of prophecy, we think about predicting the future. Now, if you get to the Old Testament, you're going to be really upset when you read prophets. If you were taught that prophets predict the future and tell people what's going to happen all the time, because that's just not what you see in the Old Testament. You see that happen occasionally, right? But most of the time, prophets are actually teaching the people of God how to apply the Word of God to their life and how to encourage people, and how to get people back on track with the word. And so this is, a, this is like a gift that you pray for for your pastor, right? that you pray over for your teachers to have who teach the Bible. Seven is discernment. The seventh one is discernment. Uh, you need to have this to distinguish if that person with the gift of healing, miracles, and prophecy are right, if they really have it. Like God doesn't expect us just to kind of leave our minds Um, behind us when we see these gifts at work. We're supposed to discern the Spirit and the Spirit and to figure out if what is happening is is really true. And so prophecy needs to be checked. Miracles need to be checked. False teaching needs to be checked. And so these are the people that if you have questions about the sermon, that you you go to these people um, and they're going to tell you like, well, I I don't know if that lined up with what the Word of God uh, teaches. And they're going to help you kind of work through some of those issues. Now, let's get into the fun ones or fun one, right? So Gordon Fee, uh, he is a uh, biblical scholar. He grew up primarily in the Pentecostal tradition and charismatic traditions. And um, in his commentary, he says, this next one, or really these last two, are the problem children of uh, all of these gifts. And uh, here's, here's uh, my definition of tongues and the gift of tongues. He says, uh, here it is. I believe that it is a spiritual language This is how I believe it's defined in the scriptures. It's a spirit language. Now, when I say language, tongue itself means language. That's that's what it means. So it's a spirit spirit language. It doesn't say, it's not called babbling. All right? It's it's language here. Now, here's here's where people um, either leave, leave, are going to leave me, or they're going to go, huh, this is neat. Of non-human origin. It's a spirit language Typically, here in, in 1 Corinthians, of non-human origins of prayer and praise addressed to God, not to humans, and benefits primarily the speaker. So in Acts 2, what I taught, what I believe is going on in Acts 2, when it talks about tongues, it's talking about foreign languages here. But here in 1 Corinthians, I believe that when Paul is talking about a tongue, a language here, it's of non-human origin, a prayer and praise addressed to God and not to humans, and it primarily benefits the believer who is speaking it. Now, Josh, why did you get this definition? Well, there's a lot of reasons, and I don't have time to go into all of them, but I'm just going to give you one verse here. And here it is, 1 Corinthians 14, 2. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, so not to people, but to God. For no one understands him. Now, no one understands him here. I, I think we can take the mean. No one of any culture, no one of any language understands this person, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. And that's really interesting, right? And that's, this thing is really scary to us. It is. I'll, I'll admit, like, I don't have this gift. I, I, I don't. Um, but that's what I believe is happening here. Now, ninth, this is given again. Now, he could have just ended with discernment, but Paul wants to be really clear about this, right? He says there needs to be, and there are people with the gift of the interpretation of tongues. 
when tongues are spoken in the midst of a community of worship and interpreted for the sake of the group, if it ever happens in the group. And so if this gift ever takes place around a group of people, it's supposed to be interpreted because it only benefits the individual during that time. So here's third question. If these gifts, exi- if these gifts were going on when Paul was writing them, do they exist today? Do they exist today? Well, I believe they do. I do. I believe they do. I'm going to let you decide. I'm going to let you decide if you believe them. Um, there are Christians, I believe, who, are, who love the Lord and teach the Bible who don't believe that these gifts exist today. Uh, we call them cessationists, right? And so what cessationists ba- uh, basically believe is that signs and wonders, as well as certain spiritual gifts, served, served only kind of during the New Testament time to confirm um, that the apostles had authority and it confirmed that Jesus Christ was the way to God. And so basically, um, there are Bible-believing Christians who believe that healing, miracles, tongues, all of this existed in a time just while the apostles were alive and primarily given to the apostles so that people would see these things and then come to Christ. Now, I belong, and our church historically belongs to a group um, of continuists that believes that these, these gifts didn't stop after the apostles died, but that they continued on and that they are still alive and well today and operating within the church and in you. Now, I'm not one just to kind of go along with what people teach. Like, I'm, I'm skeptical by nature. And so one of the ways that I approach Scripture is through the Wesley Quadrilateral. I'm going I'm to teach a little bit today, okay? Um, and so when I approach Scripture on questions that I have, uh, uh, about certain issues. What I want to ask um, myself are basically, or what I want to read it through are basically a lens of four different questions. Um, what, is ex- what does tradition tell me about it? What does experience tell me about it? Um, what does reason tell me about it? And what does the Bible tell me about it? So think about a tradition. What is, what is the church? What has the church taught in the past in general? Like not just our tradition, but the church at large. What is it taught in general? Experience. What have I experienced and what are other Christians experiencing around the glo- globe? Um, Reason. What is reasonable to believe? Right? Taking um, what the Bible says, taking what experience has for us, taking what tradition has for us, taking what science has to say about something. What is reasonable to believe? What's the best logical argument? And then finally, like, what does the Bible say? What does the Bible teach? And this one carries the most weight. So here we're going to jump right in. Tradition. So what does our own tradition teach? Like if you have grown up in this church, and once again I will tell you, I'm I'm not out to convert you to be church of God by any means. I'm out to convert you to be a Christian. I want us to be Bible-believing Christians. But what is our tradition taught? Well, our tradition has always celebrated healing and miracles. Like, in fact, if you were to have raised in, in this church what you had discovered, you would have gotten a publication called The Gospel Trumpet. And in that publication, you would, have had, you would have read about a section that talked about miraculous healings and miracles taking place throughout the church around the world. And you've gotten to read about that. And so we've always kind of celebrated healing. You see me pray for healing um, in, in this own congregation. Now, what about tongues? That's the big one, right? That's the one that I feel like people are really curious about. Does it exist or not? Well, there's a guy named F.G. Smith who used to pastor this church when it was really large and it was, when it was downtown Akron. F.G. Smith was considered, um, we don't have a lot of theologians that I would say like that are just like really good theologians within the Church of God tradition. But F.G. Smith was kind of the guide of the, 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 the theological um, wing of the Church of God. And he taught this, and I agree with him mostly. 
he, he taught that there is, that there is a, a spirit language that is said in private, um, which I described, that is not of human origin. Um, and he taught that it should be done in private. He said anytime it happens in public, it is actually a language of somebody who is in that place. And so like if there were Spanish-speaking people here, um, that if it were done in public, uh, it would be done like in Spanish. And so it would be a language that somebody could understand. And so we have a history of the definition that I just gave you being mostly affirmed there. Um, so it exists, but not for Sundays, is what F.G. Smith would teach. Now, what does the historical church teach when it comes to these supernatural gifts um, being present and existing? Uh, well, through my study here, what I discovered is that our church, church fathers, right, church fathers that um, should be studied by any theological uh, uh, um, um, or should be given to anybody going to any theological school worth of salt, have all confirmed um, that these spiritual gifts existed after the apostles died. And so we have these credible, credible witnesses and people who have led the church, who have been pastors of the church at large, and who has written extensively, all confirmed that the gifts have existed. Justin Martyr, who lived in 160 A.D., so about 80 years after the last apostle died or 100 years after the last apostle died, he confirmed that the gifts existed. He said that they exist. They were part of his arguments. Irenaeus of Lyon, who lived in 180, believed that the gifts exist. He used them as part of his arguments of why Christianity was superior. Tertullian, who lived in 208, believed that the gifts exist and said that he had seen them. Basil the Great in 350, 350 years after the death of Christ, believe this. St. Augustine, who I mentioned last week, also in his books wrote about the spiritual gifts and them existing and them live and well in the church. And so they either ended there, or these guys are, are liars according to tradition, or they continue on. Second is experience. I, I'm gonna, I gotta move quick here. I've got a degree in Bible and religion. Um, not just Bible, but religion. I have a degree, in other words, in comparable religions and religions experience. And so I've tried to do my best throughout my studies to, to, to approach issues like these objectively, religiously. Like, obviously, I can't be completely objective because I'm a Christian. Um, but that's how I try. When I went to seminary, I went to interdenominational seminary. That means um, I went to seminary where I was taught by Presbyterians, by Baptists, by Anglicans, by Methodists, by people of, of our own tradition. Um, many of those traditions, by the way, um, come from cessationist backgrounds and cessationist past. Um, my Presbyterian minister, who often is kind of associated with uh, um, cessationist, cessationism, by the way, in his commentary in Philippians, who... Um, uh, he actually, for whatever reason, he mentions that you should not discredit the gift of tongues, right, or any spiritual gifts. It continues on. So that's kind of my educational experience. But what have I seen? Right? What have I seen? Think about what you've seen, right? I've seen God heal people. He doesn't do it all the time, right? I've got an experience where I was driving down the road, a guy had missed, our ch had missed church um, at one point in time, by the way, if you miss church like one time, I'm usually not giving you a call to see how you're doing or anything. I'm just figuring they were going on vacation, right? Uh, but the guy was not well. He couldn't see out of one eye. So I called and I said, hey, I want to call. I want to come and I want to pray for you. Is that okay? Showed up, prayed for him. Uh, the next day he could see. Like, I don't have the gift of healing, but God can heal. You, some of you, right, you have 
you have stories where God has, God, you know God has healed you or healed other people, and, and you have seen that. Now, I've seen it abused. We've seen all these gifts abused. Uh, when I moved down to Birmingham, I was invited to this faith healer, right? So I wanted to go see it for myself. Um, and so I went. He gave a really kind of bad biblical sermon on how God is going to heal everybody um, and wants everybody to be whole right now and perfectly well. And then he began, like, what I really wanted to see. Like, I wanted to see, like, this guy was going to, to heal people. And so he got people in a line. And as they came down, um, he's asking them their problems. And then, like, he's, like, giving them wet willies, like, and praying in their ears. And he's blowing on their face. And you're seeing people do some really weird stuff, right? And, and then he's asking, like, there's some of you who, who want to be healed. Will you come forward? And all I'm thinking is, like, I'm the oldest brother. Like, there's no way you're, I'm coming forward for you to give me a wet willy. And you're certainly not blowing your, like, stinky breath in my face, Right? Here's the thing, though, right? Just because, like, you've, you've gone to a, a restaurant and received food poisoning doesn't mean you stop eating, right? You're, you're still going to eat, right? You're still going to get your food, right? It doesn't mean that you no longer believe in the importance of it. So, experience, um, what about the global church? Right? Go to Africa. Go to South America. Go to Central America. Go to China, right? Uh, by the way, China is super secular, um, and, and yet they're believing in these gifts. They're seeing miracles take place. If you don't want to go, just email a missionary in these places. Right? What, what they see is they see these things taking place. The supernatural is naturally discussed there. Third, so what about Scripture? Well, we're told it's given to everyone and to all. So that's what we see in the Scripture that we read this morning. Um, second is when Paul is talking about the hands and the feet. What he's talking about, he's talking about diversity of gifts, not diversity of people. Now, the church does certainly consist of the diversity of people, black, white, tall, small, yellow, orange, whatever. Like, it, it exists there, but the principle that Paul is talking about is not that the, the people in the church will be diverse, but that the gifts will be diverse. And, and so, if the gifts no longer exist, this principle is no longer relevant for us as a church, right, of the hands and the feet and so forth. We're given biblical witness, too, by the way, as you read through the scripture, what we're seeing is that Jesus doesn't just send the disciples or the apostles out. He commissioned 70 to go heal and pray over people. At least 108 people were, or 180 people were there, or 120 people were there in the upper room on Pentecost who began to speak in a way that they didn't know and in languages that they didn't know. And Romans, Paul's writing to the Romans church when he talks about the spiritual gifts. And so I just don't believe that the Bible teaches us right, that these gifts have stopped or stopped or only belong to the apostles, but that they continue on. And so the fourth is reason. Well, it's not reasonable to believe that miracles happen. Be honest, right? Uh, but if that were true, you obviously don't believe that Jesus performed a miracle or that God came down and was born and, and walked the earth either, Right? If that was our litmus test, you would have basically like Thomas Jefferson's Bible in front of you the whole time. And so I believe through tradition, through experience, and through the biblical testimony that these gifts exist. I believe it's reasonable to believe that. I hope you will too. But you can decide that for yourself. Finally, and this is, this is the most important part of the message, right? If you believe what I just told you. 
This is understanding what are spiritual gifts for. And here they are. They're for the common good, the building up, and a unity of the church that God intends for me to use. Romans 12.6 says this, Having the gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. So, once again, the big question that I'm going to answer, what about tongues? Right? Why, don't we use, why don't we speak tongues in our service? Well, here it is. Is what I believe from my study this week is it's primarily for private year use. And it's a private prayer language. When we come together, we are coming together corporately to edify one another, and it's for the common good of those here, right? What we see and what Paul, I believe, is teaching is that often it distracts from worship. And so what I'm going to ask, right, if you have this gift, right, I'm not going to discourage you to, from using it. I'm just going to ask that you use it in private that use it at home. In the same way that I would ask somebody, if they came into our worship service and started like waving a flag during the worship, right? It, you, you may actually even do that, right, if you go to South America, but in our ministry context, it's distracting. And we're going to ask that we always have orderly worship in our, our worship service and that we all come together and we're not distracting one another, but we're building each other, we're building each other up. The second reason is just hard to discern, right? I, I, mean, we, I don't know who ha- has the gift of interpretation and who doesn't. You could probably maybe to discern whether or not that interpretation was right or not by what they say, but right, it's a hard gift to discern. And so it's something that we don't practice in our congregation as we come together. If you come from a tradition that does, I understand that, I get that, but we don't practice it here um, for those reasons. Now, obviously, I pray for healing. You can check. You know whether that person can walk again. You know whether that person can see you again. You know, you can check those things, and it builds up the body of Christ. Now, as we end here, I'm just going to ask you this simple question, because this is, this is the threat. I don't want you to, like, leave here going, like, I don't know if Josh defined tongues right or any of those things right. Here's, the, here's what I need you to leave with, because here, here's what Paul wants for us. He wants us to use them. The gifts that we have, we should be using them for the common good and the building up of the body of Christ. And my question for you this morning is, are you using them, right? Are you using them? If you've been given the first grace gift, in other words, if, if you've been saved, right, you are then given other gifts to use for the common good. I love the way that Donna Peters puts this. She says that she was not saved to sit, right? uh, but God has saved her for a bigger purpose in her life. And that God has sent her out and is going to use her to build up other people and to be a part of the church. So I want to encourage you, if you're not using your gifts, inside our church or or outside of our church for the glory of God, to do that. If you don't know your spiritual gifts, I only give you eight here. This is not like a complete list of spiritual gifts. Um, It's talked about in a number of different places. We recognize in our church probably at least 24 spiritual gifts. And the way we help people understand what their gifts are is through next steps. And so if you've never taken next steps, it's not just, I'm not just trying to get you into a room to give you a bunch of information or whatever, just to spend time with you. Like, I would really like to spend time with you. But I'm, I'm trying to help you to do this. To use your gifts that God has given you. Because that's what he wants for us to do. The church needs you. Right? God intends to use you. Uh, Pastor Doug will tell you. He needs you in youth ministry. Pastor Mindy will tell you. She needs your gifts back there in children's ministry. I'll tell you. <laughs> right? I got a bunch of ministries that I need you in. 
And the thing is, if you know your spiritual gifts, you're going to be operating in a supernatural way. And God's going to use you in a supernatural way that you enjoy because God has gifted you in it. And I believe that you'll see supernatural results. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I ask that through the power of your Holy Spirit that you help us to believe that you are alive and well, that you are working in the lives of everyone in this church, that everyone has worth and everyone has value and that you have saved us, not so that we can sit, but so, Father, that we can use the gifts that you have given us for your glory so that we can use the gifts that you have given us to make an eternal difference in people's lives. I pray that as we leave here this morning that our heads aren't turning over the information that was given necessarily, Father, but rather that our, our hearts are, are yearning to see you move in a supernatural way in the things that we do as you bring us together and as we go out. I pray, Father, that um, we seek you and seek the gifts that you have for us. And that as we use them, we see you work in a supernatural way. I pray that when somebody comes up to us, uh, Father, even if we don't believe that we have the gift of healing, that we pray for healing in their lives. And that you're able to increase our faith because of what we've seen you do. We pray that you help our unbelief when it comes to some of these gifts. We pray that you give us the faith that we need to do what you would have us to do. Father, we're about to take offering, and so as we do that, we understand that our finances are a gift from you that you've given us the abilities that we have to work, our minds, our jobs, and we give you thanks for those. We pray that as we give to you here, that we do so joyfully, that we do so gratefully, because you're the great gift giver. And we pray above all that we seek the gift giver above the gifts. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.